You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Lord, we ask for a measure of your spirit to be with us today as we meditate on your word, so that indeed, as we hear your word, we might grow in our faith and our strength to honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. In the musical Camelot, King Arthur and Guinevere try to distract each other from the what they call the ruling burdens of the uh, from the burdens of the ruling class by singing a song to each other. What do simple folk do? And the gist is of that song that as royalty they wonder what regular people do to distract themselves from the problems and the issues that they face as they try to live their life. While taking the thoughts that we have in the closing chapters of Hebrews, I'd like to take a little spin on that uh, question and ask the question this way. What do Christian folk do? And it's not because we as Christians need to find some kind of a distraction from the problems and the issues that face us in our daily life, but rather it's more of, a, a pro, it's more of a, an issue of Christians living out the essence of their Christian faith in the world that they find all around them. And so the holy writer to the, to the Hebrew Christians who were living in Rome, as he writes to them, is trying to encourage them and to seek to give them a Christian direction as to how they live their faith so they can influence others around them as well as influencing each other in their Christian life. Now a bit of a, a backstory, if you will. We don't know when or who wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but, but scholars do generally agree that it was probably written before the year 70 AD. So let's ask the question, what was it like to be a Christian in the latter half of those 40 years after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven and left the disciples under the power of the Holy Spirit. Two writers, Matthew Price and Michael Collins, in their book, The Story of Christianity, had this to say about that time period. For religion in particular, it was a time of curious restlessness. The ancient Roman religion was still adhered to by most in the West, the emperor cult had begun of emperor worship. People were obliged to attend the ritual sacrifices to the emperor as a part of their religious duties, whether or not they believed them. It was therefore with a certain amount of suspicion that people regarded Christians and their refusal to take part in any religious observances but their own. Indeed, when disaster happened, they were apt to blame the impious Christians for angering their Roman gods. And to add to that, the Roman historian Suetonius writes, all that is loathsome comes from the East, implying that Christianity coming from Judea bring, brought evil to the Roman Empire. 
So in this historical context, the writer to the Hebrew Christians living in Rome writes this in Hebrews chapter 12. And notice the, the, the way he puts this to them. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Take care that no one becomes like Esau who gave away his right as firstborn for a single meal. You have come to the city of the living God. Now as time went on, Price and Collins tell us, Christians faced the prospect of a violent death. There were dire rumors about them. Authorities mistrusted them. They had no legal right to exist. When Christianity was made illegal, Christians were at the mercy of imperial disfavor and popular enmity. So no wonder many of them were forced to become slaves or servants at the bottom of the social ladder. The situation for them would only get worse in the next 200 years, up until it's about the time of Constantine, who, and when he came to power, changed and began to change things. So when we consider all of this, the background of to, in which the Holy Writer is writing to the Christians, we can ask the question, and imagine that they could have asked the question, what do Christian folk do? And for that matter, we can ask ourselves the same question, can't we? What do Christian folk do in the world in which we find ourselves living today? I'd like to invite you to, us, to uh, consider this assessment of a, a June 16th editorial. This is the way the editor writes. The world is too big for us. Too much going on. Too many crimes, too much violence and excitement. It's an incessant strain to keep pace, and still, you lose ground. Science empties its discoveries on you so fast that you stagger beneath them in hopeless bewilderment. Everything is high pressure. Human nature can't endure much more. How does that sound for assessing the time in which we live, today's society. Listening to or reading the news that we hear today, we might agree with that assessment. Shooting sprees, horrendous murder, fraud, spousal and child abuse are just among some of the news reports that we hear even from our local media. And political shenanigans are going on all the time. Internet makes communication easier, even shopping easier these days. And yet, we find ourselves under in some intimidation, hacking, fraud. I just spent four months trying to get a fraud charge, two fraud charges off of our credit cards. Frustrating. And now I'm fighting another one. That's the world in which we live. So the editorial would seem to describe our time. But get this. That editorial appeared in the Atlantic Journal 
on June 16, 1833, 189 years ago. Didn't it sound modern? The point is, while technology can give us more comforts, more physical comforts, more conveniences, people stay the same. Because we are living in a sinful society, in a sinful world, we are all sinful people. We are affected by sin's breakdown of creation and sin's breakdown of our being. It was that way for those early Christians. It was that way in 1833. It's still that way today. Now the holy writer knew that in this world in which the Christians he was writing to lived, they would need to be taught and they would need to be encouraged in their faith. So do we. And so the letter to the Hebrew Christians in Rome would seek to teach them, encourage them, but also it still encourages us and teaches us today. And that's the continuing point of the last chapters to the Hebrews. But you have this assurance in there. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, he writes. So as they received this letter, it could remind them of their Jewish roots, the commandments to their Jewish ancestors, the practices that they filled in their worship, but these were all fulfilled in Jesus. So the writer says in a prelude to chapter 12, the opening verses of chapter 12, you may remember these words. It would be good to memorize these words. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. And then by the time we get to chapter 13, we read of the practical, practical applications of that faith, of love, and of Christian living. <clears throat> and they provide the answers to the question, what do Christian folk do? As an overall statement, Christians live out their faith. Like the writer said, Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised their scorn to shame, and then what? Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. That is, if you keep your eyes 
on Jesus, you will understand more deeply what God's love in Jesus means for your life so you can have impact on each other and on other people. For remember, even in those early centuries, even pagans or secular Romans said about the Christians, see how they love each other? And two centuries later, the church father Tertullian quotes that in his writings as he writes to people who are also being persecuted at their time. So what do Christian folk do? Well, here's some of the practical advice that comes from the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 13, today's epistle lesson. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Now, Christians had been known for doing this, as we noted. And this was certainly not the time for them to let that light go out or quit doing that. And as we live, we can examine ourselves and we can ask ourselves, what are our attitudes? What are our actions toward fellow believers? Is it brotherly concern to help them succeed? For brotherly love, such as what our Lord asks of us, requires constant practice. And it also requires the power that comes only from Christ as he showed us on the cross. So, Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Then the writer continues, among some other things, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. As I read around in, in ancient history, in the Roman society, aristocrats practiced adultery as somewhat of a matter of course. Some took it as a badge of honor, and some used it to wield power over other people. And according to the news stories of today's media, adultery is no stranger to our society, and neither is desecrating the marriage bed. We are to honor God's gift. For those who would dishonor it, Immediately, the writer gives a warning. He says, God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. That's not particularly a message so many in our society want to hear, as they want to give in to every passing whim that comes along. And neither do people of the world want to hear about repenting. For anyone who has yielded to such temptation and then truly repents and seeks to turn over a new life and honor God's gift will be blessed. Now the Holy Writer writes of another kind of love to watch out for. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Jesus had stated, and you remember this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. 
to be content with the gifts with which God blesses our efforts and our abilities, which he's also given us, gives us peace and joy. And to fix our eyes on wealth as an all-important kind of goal can only lead to other worries as greed, which can lead to many other kinds of problems. And then there's another matter he brings up. Consider your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Imitate their faith. If we take to heart God's word as has been spoken to us by his messengers, we can avoid all kinds of strange teachings, philosophy, and desires. The word of God is what we need to lead us to a life of peace and joy. For remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. With the world all around us changing all the time and so fast, it's comforting to know our Savior does not change. For an unchanging Savior means God's love for us does not change. It is solid and it is steadfast. An unchanging Savior means that the forgiveness that he has won for us is constant and consistent. An unchanging Savior for us means that his promises are in effect, and we can call on him anytime, anywhere. An unchanging Savior means that while others, even some of our, sometimes our most trusted friends, may leave us, desert us, betray us, he is always with us. An unchanging Savior means that when physicians have done everything that they can do, and we breathe our last, he will be at our side to help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to use it as a door, or so that it may be as a door, to live with him in his home where there is no more sorrow or sadness or tears. For we hear this assurance in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In a world where so much works against Christians, or at least makes Christian life difficult to live, what do Christian folk do? Well, let's sum it, this, sum it up this way. Don't be distracted by the world's issues, but live focused on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then live strengthened by that faith and be faithful and grateful to the Lord to be distinctive from those who live without Jesus and live to make Christ's love evident because we are confident we have come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And that's what Christian folk do. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.